other's intelligence it's a kind of defense the kind of distance that's always under my control not a movement wasted never cumbersome never overrun but i'm troublesome want a worthy adversary i'll show you some brain tissue scar tissue so where you go you're going too far with you hang glide alongside while i stay on par with you my wings are fluttering you're stuttering another thing to show that i'm the leader of the night two wrongs don't make a right right the dark night to the light Batman by Off-White
Batman Begins is a 2005 superhero genre film directed by Christopher Nolan and starring Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Liam Neeson, and Katie Holmes. The film was written by Nolan and David S. Goyer. This film and the next film, The Dark Knight, will always be special to me because they were filmed in Chicago. And it fills me with a tremendous sense of pride that these films were shot in my home state of Illinois. Nolan's directorial style is kind of theatrical and kind of proper. Before this, he had done such films as Memento and Insomnia. He has always shown that he is a master of the screenplay. Nonetheless, with this series of films, he set out to do the thing. When it comes to Batman, there is a whole lot of story to go through. David S. Goyer was brought on as a screenwriter and served as a consultant to ensure the film stayed true to Batman lore. The writing team really didn't rely on computer graphics and really didn't rely on flashy action sequences. In fact, all the fight scenes in Batman Begins are limited to tightly cropped frames. We don't get any really wide shots unless it's with the Batmobile or a shot of Batman brooding on a roof, which are some of the best shots of Chicago in the film. The point I am trying to make is that the film is driven by classic cinematic devices. It's lit very well. It's casted very well. It covers a huge amount of story in a condensed amount of time. Nolan is able to convey a lot of it through quick-cut storytelling that is detailed but with a no-nonsense kind of determination. The film has a runtime of 2 hours and 20 minutes. I was able to see the Batmobile in person when I was living in L.A. at USC Doheny Library. So we'll see some of those photos here. This movie traces the beginnings of Bruce Wayne's journey into becoming Batman. The first half of the movie is told out of order, switching between boy Bruce, Bruce before he went to Asia, and Bruce in Asia. After Bruce returns to Gotham from Asia, we get a linear timeline. We do not even see the Batman cowl on screen until the second half of the movie. This movie is undoubtedly about character development, which is something you can really lean into when you have future films planned that are almost certain to be put into production. Some of the story arcs from DC Comics that influenced this screenplay are The Man Who Falls, Batman Year One, and Batman The Long Halloween. One interesting fact is that the character of Rachel Dawes is not from the comics. Rachel Dawes was created by the writers of this film. And also, the character of Rachel is portrayed by different actresses in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. In Batman Begins, she is played by actress Katie Holmes. In our exposition, we set out to answer the questions, 
Who is Bruce Wayne, and what is the general setting of Gotham? The film opens with a flurry of bats and a computer graphics rendition of the Batman symbol, which is different and unique for an opening sequence. We begin by meeting our protagonist, Bruce Wayne, as a young boy playing in the garden of Wayne Manor with Rachel Dawes. Bruce falls into a dry well. We see a dark, rocky wall. It looks creepy and menacing. Bruce is swarmed by bats. He's very scared. Then Bruce awakens in Asia as an adult. He's in Bhutan, a country in the Himalayas. Bruce Wayne meets Henry Ducard in Asia. We learn Bruce is in a sort of prison camp exploring the criminal fraternity. He is depicted as getting into regular fights with the other prisoners. After a fight in the breakfast line, Ducard, later to be revealed as Ra's al Ghul, appears in Bruce's cell and offers the League of Shadows to Bruce as a path, since it seems Bruce is lost. Bruce asks Ducard, are they vigilantes? Ducard replies, no, make yourself more than a vigilante. Make yourself into a legend and you can't be stopped. He says, if you want to achieve something more than just fighting common thieves, pick a rare blue flower and bring it to the top of the mountain. Bruce picks the flower, goes to the mountain, Ducard meets him in battle and knocks Bruce out. Then we go into a childhood flashback and we get our first shots of Chicago. Bruce and his parents take an L train ride. On the train ride, we get computer graphics enhanced shots of downtown. Wayne Tower is represented by the Chicago Board of Trade Building in real life. On the train ride, Bruce's father, Thomas Wayne, tells Bruce the water line follows the train system to Wayne Tower. Then we have the segment of Batman's origin story where Bruce's parents are murdered. This is an integral part of the Batman character and is an occurrence that has been told many times in many different media. During an opera, Bruce is frightened by the theatrics of the performance. The Waynes exit into the alley and are confronted by a gunman later to be named Joe Chill and robbed. Bruce's parents, Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne, are killed in front of him. The Wayne's killer is caught. James Gordon is introduced while consoling Bruce. We also meet the police commissioner, Loeb. Another character we meet is Mr. William Earle, who tells Bruce he will keep the Wayne Enterprises empire safe for him until he grows up. Back with the League of Shadows, Bruce is trained as a ninja. There is a man encaged at the League of Shadows base, and Ducard explains the man is a murderer who tried to take his neighbor's land and will be taken to justice. During a conversation with Bruce, Ducard mentions his dead wife and shares the fact that he has gained satisfaction through vengeance, which would become a major piece of Batman philosophy. Ducard mentions that Bruce never avenged his parents. The story then sets out to explain how things got this way for Bruce. Flashback. Bruce before Asia. Bruce returns to Gotham after getting kicked out of college at Princeton. 
he reunites with Rachel. They discuss Joe Chill, the Wayne's killer. While in prison, Chill shared a cell with Carmine Falcone, the mob boss. He learned information from Falcone and offered to exchange this information with law enforcement to get an early release from prison. Bruce plots to murder his parents' killer, Joe Chill, at the courthouse. He almost executes the plan, but another person, presumably Mafia, kills Chill. While driving away from the courthouse, Rachel explains that Carmine Falcone runs the city. They drive by his restaurant hideout. She explains he is inside, but they cannot prosecute him. Rachel also mentions a past economic depression in Gotham. This depression is touched upon lightly throughout the film. Later, Bruce goes to the restaurant and sits with Falcone to try and let him know he is not afraid of him. Falcone points a gun at Bruce, disrespects him, and threatens that he could hurt people in his life like Rachel and Alfred. Bruce is beaten up and thrown out. Dejected, he burns his wallet, gives his money and clothes to a homeless man, and jumps on a steamship. He leaves Gotham again, traveling the world as a petty criminal. He is depicted in Asia committing petty crimes such as theft. Back to the current timeline, Bruce in Asia. Ducard burns the blue flower, drugs Bruce, and engages in battle with him amongst the League of Shadows ninjas. Bruce defeats Ducard in battle by blending in with the ninjas even though he is drugged. Ra's al Ghul is impressed. He and Ducard ask Bruce to join the League of Shadows and in fact to lead them. The person he thinks is Ra's al Ghul explains they must get to the heart of criminality. And the heart of criminality is Gotham City. It must be eliminated to serve the purpose of the League of Shadows. As his final rite of passage, they ask Bruce to kill the imprisoned criminal. Bruce refuses to become an executioner. He instead flicks Ra's al Ghul's branding metal into stacked barrels of gunpowder. The building explodes. The person we think is Ra's al Ghul is killed when the ceiling falls on him. Ducard and Bruce slide down the snow-covered mountain and nearly die but escape. Bruce leaves Ducard in Bhutan, unconscious but alive. This is the conclusion of Bruce's time in Asia. Alfred flies to Asia and picks Bruce up via private jet. Bruce reiterates what he learned from Ducard, that to inspire people, he can be more effective as a symbol. Alfred also points out that if Bruce assumes an alias, it will protect those close to him from danger. Alfred recalls the work of Bruce's father and also mentions the economic depression that hit Gotham in the past. This conversation is a minor scene, but it conveys two things. One, Bruce is showing that he has real, logical reasons for becoming Batman. The writers want to show he's not just some loony guy donning a bat suit. Two, Alfred and Bruce speak specifically about the Mafia to show that the Mafia is a presence to be feared in Gotham. 
Alfred tells Bruce that Mr. William Earle, CEO of Wayne Enterprises, has declared Bruce legally dead since he was missing for more than seven years. In our rising action, Bruce returns to Gotham, ready to become Batman. We are introduced to the character of Dr. Jonathan Crane, Scarecrow. Crane is in court testifying on behalf of mentally disturbed criminals. He's trying to get them out-of-jail sentences. Rachel Dawes is now an assistant district attorney. She works for the Gotham district attorney, Carl Finch. As a lawyer, Rachel doesn't like Crane's tactics, but she is warned by Finch to leave it alone since it involves the mob. We cut to a scene where Bruce is plotting, organizing photographs and documents in Wayne Manor when he notices a stray bat. Alfred says they nest somewhere on the grounds. Bruce goes back to the dry well he fell into as a boy. He revisits the rocky wall, the same spot that spooked him. This time, he goes into it. He finds it is the entrance to a cave below Wayne Manor. Inside the cave, there are waterfalls and some natural sunlight. He is again swarmed by bats. This time, he stands his ground. We then cut to a conversation between Stephen Crane, Scarecrow, and the mob boss, Carmine Falcone. In this scene, they clearly outline their relationship. As we have already seen, Crane is helping Falcone's men get sentences out of jail. Crane is also paying Falcone to import a special kind of drug. Crane also mentions his boss, which is Ra's al Ghul, but the name is not mentioned here. Crane needs something to be done about Rachel, who is starting to catch up to Crane's corruption. This is the first indication we get that Rachel could get hurt. The acting CEO of Wayne Enterprises, Mr. Earle, tells Bruce that the company is going public. Bruce acts naive to the situation and asks to be placed in a position in applied sciences. Bruce meets Lucius Fox, who runs the applied sciences division of Wayne Enterprises. Fox is in a warehouse-type space all to himself and explains that the Wayne board wants him out of their hair. He also reveals he knew Bruce's dad. We see some of the technology that Bruce will employ in becoming Batman, including his cape fabric and the tumbler, which will become the Batmobile. Bruce fixes up the cave he found and fashions it into the Batcave. Alfred explains that earlier generations of the Wayne family used the space for the Underground Railroad. We cut to a meeting between James Gordon and Arnold Flass. The purpose of this scene is to show that Flass is a corrupt member of the police department. Bruce makes his first attempt at a vigilante costume. This is not the full Batman costume yet. It's very makeshift. He visits Gordon at his office stealthily during the night. He poses a simple question to Gordon. Why is it that Carmine Falcone can bring drugs in through the shipping yards? Gordon replies that Falcone is paid up with the right people, and to put a stop to it would require pressure in the courts. Bruce, who is in the dark threatening Gordon with a stapler, says to wait for his signal. Alfred and Bruce design a cowl, and we see small details like radio antenna going into the ears. 
They order 10,000 cowls, find a flaw in its construction, and order another 10,000. In a meeting between Carmine Falcone and Arnold Flass, Falcone expresses interest in killing Rachel. Two things are mentioned. Flass is needed at the docks on the coming Thursday, and Flass mentions he could kill Rachel. It is revealed that Bruce is eavesdropping in on the conversation via wiretap. We go to the shipping yards where we find Arnold Flass and Falcone's men are loading stuffed animals filled with drugs. It is mentioned that half the shipment of drugs do not go directly to the dealers. Then the men start disappearing one by one. We see flashes of Batman. Carmine is told to leave but doesn't. Batman rips the roof off of Carmine's car, pulls him out, and we get the classic I'm Batman moment before Batman whisks Carmine away. This is the first established arrival of Batman the character and the persona. As Batman, Bruce visits Rachel and saves her from being killed by Falcone's thugs at the L train station. Later, we see Carmine Falcone strapped to a spotlight on the roof of Gotham PD, the first incarnation of the Bat Signal. The present commissioner, Loeb, is upset over Batman's vigilante ways and orders the police to work against him. Gordon speaks in Batman's support. The Coast Guard finds out one of Wayne Enterprise's cargo ships has been raided. The ship was carrying a prototype weapon that can emit microwaves to vaporize an enemy's water supply. This will come into play later. While out at a fine dining restaurant with two models, Bruce runs into Rachel and explains that these kinds of activities aren't really a true portrayal of him. With these new developments and with the new evidence handed over to her by Batman, Rachel is able to prosecute Falcone. Crane goes to visit Carmine Falcone in jail. Carmine explains he knows that there are two variations of the drugs being brought in, and that Crane experiments with patients in Arkham Asylum. Falcone threatens to move against Crane unless he is cut in on whatever big event is coming. Crane uses his fear agent on Carmine and scares him into silence. Batman visits Gordon again this time at Gordon's home. The backyard looks like a real, authentic Chicago porch. Batman finds Flass while he is eating some falafel and asks him where the second batch of drugs go. The best Flass can do is explain that the second batch of drugs went somewhere else, to a drop-off location which is in the Narrows, presumably a bad area of Gotham City. Rachel's co-worker, the DA, Finch, goes to the shipping yards and demands to see one of Falcone's crates. It is revealed to be the microwave weapon. But Finch is shot once he sees it. Batman meets Scarecrow 1. Batman visits the Narrows. We get a scene with Jack Gleason, the actor who would play King Joffrey on Game of Thrones, and finds the drop-off point. While Batman is there investigating, Crane walks in with his henchmen. Batman hides and beats up a few of the goons, but Crane sprays his agent on Batman and sets him on fire. Batman has to escape, jumping across the rooftops and calling Alfred for help. 
Bruce wakes up on the morning of his birthday to find that Alfred and Fox saved him together and know each other. This was a rough experience, but thanks to this happening, there is now an antidote to Crane's fear agent. Rachel comes to Wayne Manor to give Bruce a gift. While talking, Rachel gets a call. Falcone has been moved to Arkham. Rachel decides to go there. Bruce warns that it is in the Narrows. Wayne Enterprises CEO Mr. Earl visits Fox. He demands information on everything in applied sciences and fires him. Batman meets Scarecrow 2. Rachel goes to Arkham, and Crane shows Rachel that they are indeed poisoning the water supply. Crane poisons Rachel with the fear agent. The lights go out, and Batman beats up Scarecrow's goons. Batman sprays Scarecrow with his own fear agent, and Crane mentally checks out. With Rachel poisoned, Bruce must get her back to the Batcave, but at this point, Gotham PD has the building surrounded. Gordon, who decides to enter the crime scene by himself, is scooped up by Batman, who shows him Rachel in her condition. Batman calls in for backup, gives Rachel to Gordon, and thousands of bats swarm the building. Batman jumps down through the mass of bats. We get yet another shot of Chicago, looking over the river as Batman drives away with Rachel in the Batmobile. Rachel is saved, and Bruce explains to her that he is providing her with samples of the antidote for production before he knocks her out again. With all that squared away, Bruce is ready for his birthday party. He is reunited with Ducard, who is now revealed to be the true Ra's al Ghul. Bruce sarcastically asks the guests to leave. This is rude, but since Bruce knows the League of Shadows has infiltrated his mansion, it is the quickest way to get the guests to safety. Ra's al Ghul finally admits that he has been working with Scarecrow. The plan was to hold the city for ransom, but the League of Shadows really want to poison the entire city. Ra's al Ghul reveals that the League of Shadows has been sacking cities for years, this time using the weapon of poverty to wear down the citizens of Gotham. This implies the League of Shadows started the economic depression. Ra's al Ghul goes one step further to say that Bruce's parents stood in the way, implying the League of Shadows may have been behind that as well. In our climax, the League of Shadows burns down Wayne Manor and frees prisoners from Arkham. Ra's al Ghul's henchmen set fire to the house. A beam falls on Bruce and knocks him out. Ra's al Ghul leaves. Alfred knocks out one of the men, enters the manor, and wakes Bruce up. Alfred and Bruce escape the inferno by taking the elevator to the Batcave. Bruce laments his decisions. At Arkham, Gordon calls for the police to raise the bridges to stop the prisoners from getting too far. We get a shot of Franklin Street Bridge, with Rachel walking to meet Gordon and give him the antidote. The authorities raise the bridges. The toxin is released. Ra's al Ghul microwaves the water and releases the fear toxin into the air, poisoning the public. We get a montage of Bruce suiting up. The Batmobile leaves the Batcave and soon arrives on the island. 
Bruce explains to Gordon that Ra's al Ghul has put the microwave device on the train and will most likely follow the train system to Wayne Tower in the center of the city. The plan is for Gordon to beat the train to the tower and shoot out the track from beneath it. Batman saves Rachel and the boy from earlier from Scarecrow. Bruce reveals his identity to Rachel. He then goes to stop Ra's al Ghul, fist fights with his men, and is swallowed up by the fear-mongering crowd. He escapes by shooting his grappling hook gun onto the train and letting it lift him up off the ground and out of the crowd. Since the train is holding the microwave weapon, sewer caps explode all along the way as the train moves down the track. Gordon orders the bridges lowered and is on his way. We get another Chicago shot as the Batmobile enters Lower Wacker Drive. Batman gets on the train car with Ra's al Ghul. They fight and, from the Batmobile, Gordon successfully shoots the track from underneath the train. Batman doesn't save Ra's al Ghul and instead blows a hole in the car with a smoke bomb and escapes. The train falls into the ground and Ra's al Ghul dies. In our falling action, it turns out that although Wayne Enterprises went public, Bruce had arranged to buy a majority of the shares. Fox is reinstated and the old CEO is out. Bruce and Rachel are standing outside Wayne Manor and Rachel expresses her belief in Batman. They discuss Bruce's time seeking cold vengeance for his parents and Bruce believes that he has moved past all that. Alfred explains they should probably build up the Batcave. In our resolution, Batman goes to see Gordon at the police station rooftop. Gordon has been promoted to lieutenant. He mentions a new person of interest and gives Batman a Joker card. Batman Begins is a story about facing fear and overcoming it. It is widely regarded as a solid telling of the Batman character origin and universe. The Batman character and universe is very intriguing because, in my personal opinion, Gotham essentially represents humanity gone bad. It represents bureaucracy gone bad. It has too many laws. There is too much politics. There are too many people. It's a dog-eat-dog world and you don't know who you can trust. These are real-life issues that real people can understand. Batman represents the human psyche. He has resources. He has his health. He has his wealth. He wants to use these resources for good, but he doesn't want to be seen as a regular citizen as he does so. He wants to be seen as something apart from the corrupt system. These are the mechanics that make the Batman story relatable. This is why a Batman story can be told and retold and be successful. Yes, the symbolism is cool and the Batmobile is cool, but it is these mechanics that make the Batman character so handy. It's easy to pick up, it's easy to understand, and it's easy to run with. Christopher Nolan and the writers of this movie understand this. With Batman Begins, I would have liked to have seen action sequences that were more choreographed with wider shots during those action sequences. But 
The film is incredibly consistent from front to back and is undoubtedly satisfying. Batman Begins is a triumph in the superhero genre of movies.